welcome to this week's edition of the Worcester Talking Newspaper, recorded at Colin Chan's house on Thursday the 11th of January. I'm Jenny Tansy and with me reading the news are... Sue Perry, Brian Edwards, Kate Hudman. Duncan Wynne is our engineer, Carol Hartle is working on the administration and this week's copying team are Bernard and Maureen Potter and Janet Bailey. Thanks to Worcester News for all our information. The headlines this week are... We don't feel safe. Sex offender jailed. Man accused of Julie Fox killing. Worker threatened with sack via text message. Beth's death, A&E docs admission. Put double yellow lines outside school. And tribute to cyclist killed in van crash. I'll start off with the um, deaths. George Thomas Jenkins passed away peacefully on December the 19th, aged 86. Funeral is at Worcester Crematorium on January the 12th at 11.30. Mary Jones of Poick passed away peacefully at the Chase Care Home on December the 14th, aged 84. Funeral is at Our Lady Queen of Peace St. John's on January the 16th at 10.30. John Layton passed away peacefully at Worcester Royal Hospital on the 21st of December, Funeral is at Worcester Crematorium on January the 15th at 2.30. Rose Mary O'Grady passed away on December the 19th, age 79. The Requiem Mass will take place at 1.30 on January the 16th at St Mary's. No further details um, have been put in the paper, so contact George Crump and Sons if you want further information on 01905 Ron Woodyatt passed away on December the 22nd, age 77. The funeral was um, yesterday. Anthony John, known as Tony Davis, passed away in hospital on December the 17th, age 70. The funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on January the 12th at 10 a.m. Anne Patrick, peacefully after a short illness, passed away on December the 20th, age 68. The service of Thanksgiving will be at St Mary's Church in Kemsey on January the 15th at 12.15. Richard John George Sutcliffe died suddenly at Worcester Royal Hospital on Boxing Day, age 75. The service of Thanksgiving will be at Pershaw Abbey on February the 13th at 2 p.m. Colin Minton of Ombersley passed away in, on January the 5th. The funeral arrangements are to follow. Michael Victor Taylor passed away on December the 28th, age 74. The funeral is at Worcester Crematorium on January the 12th at 1.45. Richard Berry, known as Dick, passed away on December the 28th, age 76. Funeral is at Worcester Crematorium on January the 17th at 2.30. Stanley Trevor Davis passed away on December the 23rd, aged 83. Funeral is at Worcester Crematorium on January the 16th at 11.30. Dorothy Draper passed away suddenly in hospital on December the 24th, aged 85. The funeral is at St. Philip's and St. James Church in Whittington on January the 17th at 11am. Francis Della Humphreys, known as Della, Sadly passed away on January the 2nd. The funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on January the 17th at 3.15. Christopher Robin Tandy, known as Robin, passed away aged 72 on December the 25th. The funeral is at Worcester Crematorium on January the 17th at 9.15. Beryl Wicks passed away on December the 22nd aged 84. 
funeral services at Worcester Crematorium on January the 17th at 1.45. Alan Francis Williams died on December the 21st. The funeral services at Worcester Crematorium on January the 17th at 11.30. David Bowen passed away in hospital on December the 26th, age 66. The funeral services at Worcester Crematorium on January the 16th at 2.30. Donald Corney known as Don, on December the 22nd, aged 84. Funeral is at Worcester Crematorium on January the 18th at 2.30. Francis, I'm sorry, I've already read that. John Douglas Morris passed away on New Year's Day, aged 90. Funeral is at Worcester Crematorium on January the 18th at 1.45. Louisa Morris passed away at Hereford County Hospital on January the 4th, aged 93, the funeral service is at John the Baptist Church in Suckley on January the 18th at 12 noon. Florence Norcott, known as Betty, passed away on December the 30th, aged 95. The funeral service is at St. Stephen's Church on January the 23rd at 11.15. Joan Olive Sargent passed away in hospital on December the 23rd, aged 94. The funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on January the 18th at 10 a.m. Our sincere sympathies to those who've lost loved ones. Um, the Bible reading for this week is Luke 2, verses 8 to 12. There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over the flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified, but the angel of the Lord said to them, do not be afraid. I will bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. I think that should have been read um, pre-Christmas, but uh, it's a nice reading to repeat. And now I will pass you over to Sue for the first story. The owner of a Worcester clothes shop came face to face with a masked burglar following a terrifying ram raid. Simon Jones was one of two men who raided Armstrong's in Sansom Walk, destroying the shop front with a stolen car and making off in another stolen getaway car. The family who owned the business were asleep in a flat above the premises at the time of the raid and woke to confront one of the burglars in the shop, his face hidden by a balaclava. The raiders stole just under £16,000 worth of designer clothes. Repairs to the shop front cost £8,000 and security upgrades cost a further £5,000, taking the overall bill to £29,000, not including the loss of trade in the run-up to Christmas. This, sorry, this was Christmas 19, 2015. The 33-year-old of Clare Road, Malvern, appeared at Worcester Crown Court on Wednesday for his role in the two-man burglary, described by Judge Nicholas Cartwright as a planned professional ram raid burglary. Judge Cartwright said, Inside the shop, they were there confronted by either you or your accomplice. It must have been terrifying. CCTV of the raid was played in court. The judge told Jones, you have shown no remorse or offered any apology or assistance in the recovery of the stolen goods. The owner, Simon Hislop, confronted one of the masked raiders inside the premises. 
In a statement read out to the court, he described the emotional impact of the ram raid on his family, referring to their dread and anxiety in the wake of the burglary. We just don't feel as safe as we did, he said. The case was delayed because Jones, described as a prolific thief by the judge, absconded at a previous court hearing during a cigarette break, claiming later he had panicked. Alex Small, prosecuting, said a Vauxhall Nova was stolen from Park Avenue in Worcester on December the 14th, 2015, the same night an Audi was stolen from an address in Hallow. Two licence plates were also stolen from a Ford Mondeo in Ivy Street, Worcester, which created ghost identities for cars used in the raid on the shop at 4.30am on December the 15th, 2015. The court heard how Mr Hislop heard a car revving and the sound of an alarm turning the light on in the shop to find a six-foot-two-inch man wearing a balaclava, overalls, gloves and carrying an armful of clothes. Mr Hislop attempted to grab the clothing but his arm was knocked away. The masked man ran away from the shop and got into the passenger side of the Audi. However, Mr Hislop managed to record the car registration and call 999. The registration plates on the Audi were those stolen from the Mondeo the previous evening. The outside wooden doors of the shop had been smashed by the Nova, which had been used as a battering ram, with a pallet used as an anvil. Spots of blood were found at the scene and DNA samples obtained. One of the samples corresponded to Jones and the other to an unknown male. Jones was arrested at his home address on January the 23rd last year and when interviewed he told police he had no cause to enter Worcester and would only go there to do his Christmas shopping. He said he didn't know where the shop was and had never been there before. He described himself as a Malvern person and said he didn't drive and walked everywhere, said Mr Small. He told officers, I wouldn't have the bottle to carry out that kind of offence. However, he pleaded guilty last July to vacate his plea on December the 6th last year when he absconded from the court building on a cigarette break. He was arrested on December the 18th on a warrant. As a result, any credit for his guilty plea had evaporated, the judge told him. Lee Egan, defending, said that when Jones left the court, he simply panicked and described his client as rather pathetic. Mr Egan said Jones had used drugs since the age of 15, but stopped taking them only to become heavily dependent on alcohol. In October 2016, he said that Jones had suffered severe kidney problems, which he still lived with. Mr Egan told the court Jones had nothing like this in his previous offending and stressed there had been no further offending since. All he wants in life now, that he's free of the effects of drugs and alcohol, is to get a job like normal people, hopefully working with animals. He's not a sophisticated man, he said. Judge Nicholas Cartwright jailed Jones for three and a half years, less the time he has spent on remand, referring to a large number of significant aggravating features. He told Mr Jones, your actions have all been designed to manipulate the court system and introduce delay. After the hearing, Mr Hislop, owner of Armstrong, said, I'm just glad it has come to some sort of conclusion. The firm was established in 1767 and has been at its existing Worcester home since the mid-1800s.
Now we have two headline reports from last Saturday, January the 6th. The first one relates to a situation where the police were given more time to quiz a murder suspect. They were given a third extension to question the suspect over the murder of Worcester woman Julie Fox. A 43-year-old man from Worcester was arrested last Tuesday on suspicion of murder and has been in police custody since then. Miss Fox was found dead in the hallway of her bungalow in Carnforth Drive, Warnden, on Wednesday, December the 27th. This 32-hour extension to quiz the suspect was granted to West Mercia police officers yesterday, Friday the 5th. They will, either have, they will either have to charge or release the suspect before this deadline is up at 8pm, unless they secure yet another extension. Last Thursday, a house two doors away from Miss Fox's bungalow was cordoned off and house-to-house enquiries were carried out. Earlier in the week, police investigating the murder also carried out fingertip searches of grass verges and bushes in Ennerdale Close, Warnden. Detective Superintendent Adrian McGee said, investigations are continuing and all our officers will remain in the area whilst inquiries are carried out. We continue to appeal to anyone who may have witnessed any suspicious activity in this area between December 22nd and December 27th. We are still trying to locate Julie's pink handbag, which we know she had with her days before she died, and this is currently missing from the bungalow. Please, anyone with any information, no matter how insignificant, come forward or speak to a local officer. Anyone with information is asked to call police on 101 with incident number 597 of December the 27th. Or you can always call Crime Stoppers on 0800 555 111. The other headline story from Saturday the 6th relates to a sex offender who has been jailed. A drunk sex offender who threatened police has been jailed after he was caught carrying a knife for a second time in Worcester. Christopher Round had an 8-inch knife in a shoulder bag while in drink by a Worcester canal and swore at police threatening to pull officers into the water. The handle of the knife was sticking out of his bag's open pocket when he was challenged by a police community support officer who saw him drinking from a can of lager in an alcohol-free zone by the canal near Westbury Gardens. The 38-year-old accepted that he had been convicted in his absence of possession of a bladed article in a public place when he appeared via video link from HMP Birmingham at Worcester Crown Court last Friday. He also accepted he was in breach of a two-year conditional discharge imposed for possession of ammunition. This is the second time that Round has appeared for possessing a bladed article in public making him eligible for a minimum six-month prison sentence. A three-inch knife fell out of his wallet when he attended the Hive in Worcester back in March 2016 when he was seeking help for ha- regarding his housing. During the more recent knife offence, Round was seen 
by the police officer drinking lager by the canal on July 16th last year in an alcohol-free zone. Michael Connery, prosecuting, said, When police attended the scene, he made threats to jump in and refused to walk away from the edge of the canal. Refusing to comply with the officer's directions and this resulted in them having to restrain him. Round was described as being aggressive and shouting, making threats and swearing in a loud voice in this residential area. When interviewed by police, he said, oh, he'd just bought the knife for 20 to 25 pounds. He'd stripped away the packaging because it was too bulky, throwing it in the bin along with the receipt, telling officers he'd only bought it to cut crusty bread and chicken. He described his use of language as being horrible and he accepts that he made threats to pull officers into the canal. He said he would never have done that actually because he couldn't swim. He also had a knife at the Hive in Worcester back in March the 7th, 2016. Mr Conroy said at that point he opened his wallet looking for a contact card and the knife fell out. The lady there was alarmed and intimidated. She was concerned about pressing the panic button but thought that might make matters worse. Well, the first blade offence, together with the breach of a sexual harm prevention order, resulted in a 14-week prison sentence. The second blade offence placed him in breach of a two-year conditional discharge for possessing ammunition without a certificate. He was found with a 9mm live bullet in a tin at a, room he was at a room he was living in at a hostel in February last year. Lewis Perry defending said the knife round was found with by the canal was for cutting up food. The one in the hive was only three inches long, but he conceded that round was in drink when he had the knife by the canal. Mr Perry added, he is pleading guilty and accepts there was no reasonable excuse. It then emerged that Round has 12 convictions for 21 offences dating back to 1998. He had been handed a sexual harm prevention order for possessing extreme pornographic images and breached that in 2013 when he made further indecent images. Judge Nicholas Cole said regarding the incident at the canal, you were abusive and threatening to the officers using foul language and uttering threats. Such weapons place members of the public at risk. When people are under the influence of alcohol, there is a clear risk that they will use the knife. He was then made subject to a six-month prison sentence suspended for two years on April 24th last year for swimming in a Pershaw pool with children. Well, four months of this six-month sentence were activated on July the 28th last year for another breach of an order when he failed to comply with the resident's condition after he was evicted from a hostel. So Judge Cole then sentenced Round to 28 weeks in prison, 26 for the possession of the knife, and two consecutive weeks for breaching the conditional discharge by having the ammunition. Time spent on remand will be discounted from his sentence and the judge also ordered the forfeiture and destruction of the knife. We have a follow-on now on Monday, January the 8th of the um, murder of uh, Miss, Mrs Julie Fox. 
A man has appeared in court charged with the murder of disabled Worcester woman Julie Fox. Adrian Jenkins, 43, of Carnforth Drive, Worcester, appeared at Worcester Magistrates Court on Saturday morning just before 10am. The 51-year-old Miss Fox, who had cerebral palsy, was found dead at her home in Carnforth Drive, Worcester, shortly before 6.50pm on Wednesday, December 27th. A post-mortem showed the 51-year-old suffered a serious head injury caused by a blunt instrument. Jenkins spoke to confirm his name, date of birth, address and nationality. He was wearing a dark sweatshirt. The hearing lasted less than five minutes. He was remanded in custody to appear at Worcester Crown Court tomorrow. That would have been Tuesday. Jenkins was arrested on Tuesday, January the 2nd and charged on Friday night. Miss Fox was last seen by her carer between 6pm and 7pm on Friday, December the 22nd. She was known to regularly travel around the town in her electric mobility scooter, often with her little dog, a Shih Tzu, in the basket on the front. She was known to visit coffee shops in the city and would often visit the Crowngate shopping centre. Previously, officers had confirmed that the gas rings on the cooker in the bungalow were on when Julie's body was discovered. Neighbours alerted the emergency services due to the smell of gas coming from the property. Now, the second headline on Monday, January the 8th, um, Sainsbury's is investigating claims by a warehouse worker that he was told he would lose his job if he failed to show up on New Year's Day, whatever the reason. He said he received the unfair text message, which appears to be from agency PMP Recruitment, after he missed a shift at the supermarket's Worcester Depot over the Christmas period. The message said he would not be given any more shifts at the Sainsbury's Depot in Shire Park, Worcester, if he failed to attend on January the 1st. The worker, who does, not wish, who does not wish to be named, said he could not go to work on one day over Christmas because he had to look after his children. He has decided to speak out after reading a Worcester News article about other workers at the warehouse being told they would face disciplinary action for any absences on New Year's Day. He said, I don't find it fair. They threatened me with dismissal after being absent for one day. I'm not afraid of losing a job. I'm more angry about the way they treat people. Why not treat people fairly? Sometimes you do 2pm to 10pm and then 6am to 2pm the next day. I've never missed a day until this one. I've got two children. They were off for Christmas. It's hard to find someone to sit with the children. We couldn't find any babysitters. He added that he had attempted to make alternative childcare arrangements with his family and when this failed he had tried to book the day off. The employee who has worked at the warehouse for months said, I thought I had booked it as a holiday but I found out I didn't. Otherwise I would have called them. He decided to stay at home instead of his wife because she has a stable job which works around the children's school hours. Stuart Richards, regional organiser for the GMB Union, said, Unfortunately, this case is all too familiar. The fact is that workers are not robots. They need to be treated with dignity and respect. Over the last seven years, the number of jobs in either the jig industry or with agencies have increased dramatically. This means that more and more workers are being faced with little choice but to take up insecure work.
With the government failing to address the issues around the lack of legal protection, this has left workers open to unreasonable treatment. Lee Barron, Regional Secretary for the TUC Union, added that it was deplorable that staff should be treated in such a way. He said, what people need are rights. I think Sainsbury's should look into it. They lay down the standards that they expect. They have a moral obligation. A Sainsbury's spokesman said, we expect all our agencies to meet our code of conduct and if these standards are not met, we will always take appropriate action. PMP recruitment declined to comment. The Worcester News previously reported on another worker at the warehouse who received a message which appeared to be from 24-7 recruitment warning him that he would face disciplinary, disciplinary action if he failed to attend work on New Year's Day. The incident was compared to a recent scandal at the Wagamamas branch in North Finchley, London, where employees were told they would be punished for calling in sick over Christmas. The headline for Tuesday, January the 9th, Beth's death, A&E docs admission. An emergency doctor has admitted he should have consulted poison specialist sooner than treating, sorry, sooner when treating a vulnerable 21-year-old woman who died after overdosing on diet pills. Beth Shipsey suffered a seizure before going into cardiac arrest on February the 15th last year in the A&E department at Worcestershire Royal Hospital, having taken 24 dinitrophenol, known as DNP. Dr Ali Reza Nirumand told a hearing at Worcestershire Coroner's Court yesterday he should have done more to understand a drug he had never seen before. Following the overdose, Miss Shipsey was taken to hospital from her home in Warnden Villages, Worcester, by ambulance to the hospital, arriving at about 5.20pm. The inquest heard Miss Shipsey had overdosed around 15 times in just a few months before her death. Dr Nirumand, who started his 10-hour shift in the emergency department at 6pm, said Miss Shipsey had at the end... Of a sorry was at the end of a corridor of trolleys. It was one of the busiest days I have ever seen at Worcester A and E. Of the first few days that I had been working there, he admitted. Prior to first speaking to the patient, he was sitting on the trolley with her father Doug next to her. He was informed she had overdosed on around thirty DNP tablets. He was then handed documents by a nurse, printed off from Toxbase the system consulted by doctors to understand the effects of treatment needed regarding an unfamiliar drug. Dr Nirumand said, The name of that medication was completely unfamiliar to me. I did not read the documents completely at that point. I wanted to see the patient. He added, At this point, she was in a stable condition. Blood and electrocardiograph ECP tests came back fairly normal and he said Miss Shipsey told him she had taken the drugs between three and four o'clock that afternoon. Having then consulted Toxbase, Dr Nirumand found symptoms of a DNP overdose could take up to four hours to appear, but rather than consult poison specialists, he ordered the patient be monitored. During Dr Nirumand's evidence, coroner Jairate Williams asked him, 
When you do not know the drug, surely it is even more important to get specialist advice. Dr. Nirumand said, I have a big question mark in my head. How much had she taken of this medication? He said, having told colleagues to keep her somewhere safe and observe her for any sign of change. Although the numbers were normal, I was not 100% happy, he added, but he had numerous other patients to attend to. Michael Walsh, representing Miss Shipsey's parents, Doug and Carol, said he did not make the call to poison specialists until 8.50 p.m. It shouldn't have happened... Sorry, it should have happened several hours earlier, said Mr. Walsh. Do you agree with that? Dr. Nirumand answered yes. Miss Shipsey was moved into a resuscitation room soon after the doctor first spoke to her before being moved to a high-care unit. The unit was one of the best places for the patient, but it was not the resuscitation room, said Dr. Nirumand. He said the decision to move the patient from the resuscitation room was common procedure as she was stable and other patients needed treating there. But a couple of hours later, with her condition deteriorating, he wanted to move her back, but there was no way at all for that transfer due to how busy the department was. Dr. Niruman said Miss Shipsey's heart rate soared to a sky-high rate on her last reading while she was also sweating and flushed. He ordered colleagues to rush this patient to the resuscitation room. Go straight away. He put in a call to poison specialists telling them, I have got someone in here who is deteriorating fairly rapidly. By the time they called back, unfortunately she had already died, he said. At the time of her admission, she was on home leave from a psychiatric ward at Worcester's Elgar unit. Miss Miss Shipsey had been diagnosed with an emotionally unstable personality disorder in January 2016, having been raped by her ex-boyfriend Barry Finch, 22. She also had an eating disorder and post-traumatic stress disorders, buying the diet pills online from the Ukraine. She had previously overdosed Dr. Nirvana Champrapa, a senior consultant psychiatrist from Worcestershire Healthcare, who also gave evidence at the hearing, said he did not believe Miss Shipsey had a suicide risk. At, sorry, was a suicide risk at the time of her death. However, Doctor Nirumand said he asked the patient on initial contact with her in the emergency department, "Did you want to kill yourself?" And she clearly said yes. Mister Williams read out a social media message Miss Shipsey had sent to a friend at 4:30 p.m. on February the 15th which included sad emocons. I have just overdosed on DNP. I am petrified of telling anyone because it is likely my 15th overdose, she wrote. Later, managing another friend who told her to go to hospital, she said, no, I don't want to. I will will disappoint everyone. I'm sure my body can handle it. The inquest continues today. And this headline is from um, Wednesday, January the 10th. Double yellow lines may soon appear outside a city school to make the road safer following residents' complaints about the number of cars parking in the area. Green Party County Councillor Matthew Jenkins wants to see the lines painted along Drover's Way in a bid to make the road safer. (coughs) 
Samantha Roach, Principal of Tudor Grange Academy, Worcester, has backed the proposal as a practical solution to cars parking on the road. Local residents say the parked cars restrict visibility for drivers and turn the road into a one-way street. (coughs) Excuse me. Councillor Jenkins said it will make it safer for residents and children. It might possibly annoy a few parents who drop off pupils at school. But it is a high school, not a primary. I think 12, 13 and 14 year olds can walk a few yards. Councillor Jenkins added that he had worked with police and the council officers to form his proposal, which will go out for consultation in the near future. City Councillor Neil Lawrenson, also of the Green Party, welcomed the plans. He said, I think too many parents are driving to school. People need to be encouraged to walk or cycle. At some point, people will have to leave their cars at home. What's Worcester going to be like in five or ten years' time? The one thing that keeps coming up is traffic. He added that one resident had complained to him about a crash outside their home in Drover's Way. They told him that a driver, believed to be either a pupil or a parent, had hit a parked car around six months ago. Councillor Gareth Jones, who also covers St Stephen's, described the current situation outside the school as a recipe for disaster. He added that cars had only started parking on Drover's Way near the junction with Southdown Road in the last year. Mrs Roach said, Having double yellow lines along Drover's Way is a practical solution and I would fully support the application. I regularly contact parents to be mindful of our neighbours when on the school run, not to bring their cars onto the academy site and not to park on the pedestrian crossing nor the area covered by the zigzag lines. We encourage students to travel to and from the academy by bike and on foot. 95% of our students live within a 1.5 mile radius. I am optimistic that when the plans go out for consultation, they are received positively. Worcester County Council will make a final um, decision on the proposal for double yellow lines as the highway's authority. Our next headline report comes from this very day, Thursday, January the 11th, and reads that tributes to cyclists who's been killed in a van crash. Tributes have been paid to a much-loved cycling fan who died whilst riding in Worcester. Anthony Ryder, aged 46, was hit by a van as he rode his bike at the junction of the A449 and Clains Lane shortly before Christmas. His wife, Dion Walton Ryder, said her husband was incredibly clever, creative and was always cycling. She went on, he was always very, very clever in all that he did. He was massively into new technology, always comparing whatever new gadgets he had with our son, very much into DIY and very creative. He often said he could make something himself cheaper and better than the bought article. Things he made always last. He always seemed to do a better job than the real thing. Very close to his children, loved them very much, looked after us all so very well. She went on to describe the many trips they made in the family motorhome, particularly to the Lake District. 
She said, we always found ourselves going north rather than south. He did love the Lake District so much. He'd always had a plan to ride from Land's End to John and Groats and go through the Alps. We had plans to travel abroad. Worcester manufacturer Southco also paid tribute to Mr Ryder, who had worked at the company for 15 years. The firm said he will be remembered as a dedicated champion of technology and a highly driven leader, but most importantly as a caring colleague and a great friend to many of the people he worked alongside. Tony was a pleasure to work with and to learn from. He was smart, dynamic and full of enthusiasm. His focus and pride in everything he did shone out, as did his humour. He'll be greatly missed from the Southco family, but however we are proud that his achievements and personal qualities will have a long-lasting legacy within our organisation. Mr Ryder, originally from Droitwich, took part in the Birmingham Velo race back in September 2017, finishing in the top 100, and was due to race again this year. Mrs Walton Ryder added he kept saying he was going to finish first. He was very competitive in that way. Not sure where his obsession for cycling came from. I think he originally just wanted to get fit and it escalated from there. He was always very keen now on his cycling, out with his friends and colleagues. The pair had originally met whilst working at Droitwich manufacturer's Colto and we have been together for 23 years, having married in Malvern in 2006. Mrs Walton Ryder said, When I met him, he was into autographs racing, which he did at Radford. Then he moved on to quad biking and eventually ordinary cycling. The Radford Autographs Club also paid tribute to Mr Ryder on, the Facebook, on their Facebook page. The club wrote, Radford Autographs Club would like to send our thoughts and condolences to your family and friends at such a sad time. He was such a clever engineer, a great racing driver, a huge part of the club for many years, and won the map open back in 1998, and we were very proud of that. R.I.P. Anthony. A tribute page has been set up to commemorate Mr. Ryder at anthony-rider.com muchloved.com Rugby Stars teamed up with Ledbury Rugby Club and Upton Rugby Club and raised more than £6,000 for the Dodie Weir Trust. The club off Ross Road was the destination for a 12-mile walk from Upton Rugby Club to help raise funds for the trusts set up by the former international Dodie Weir. Mr Weir, 47, a former Scotland player and British and Irish Lion, started the Dodie Weir 5 Trust after being diagnosed with motor neurone disease last year. Wellwishers donated money to the walkers along the route and before and after Ledbury's home league match against Shipston RFC. One of the day's highlights was the auction of signed rugby shirts including England, Bath, Worcester Warriors and Gloucestershire RFC shirts and signed Scotland rugby ball and a signed Dodie Weir figurine. The walk and auction was organised by his Hanley Swan former club and international teammate Peter Walton. He was joined by Worcester Warriors player Chris Pennell, coach Carl Hogg and centre Will Butler 
and Ross Moriarty, a flanker for Gloucester and Wales, as well as a number of other walkers. Mr Walton said, We are extremely grateful to both Upton Rugby Club and those that saw us at off at 8.30am and Ledby Rugby Club for accommodating us at the end of the walk and to the many, many people who threw money in the buckets and bid on the auction lots. To raise over £6,000 through the various means is an absolutely brilliant achievement and we know this money will help research and raise awareness of this terrible condition. It was an emotional day, but there was a fantastic spirit amongst everyone, and it goes to show how strong the rugby family is. We must also thank Ledbury's juniors and supporters for a fantastic welcome as we arrived at the club at the end of the walk. The group arrived at Ledbury RFC at about 1.30pm on Saturday. Operations manager Jamie Rayfield said... LRFC juniors and supporters greeted the walkers through the gates after the gruelling walk over the Morven Hills from the starting point at Upton RFC. With a quick refuel provided by Plentiful Buffet, our guests enjoyed Ledby's first 11 fixture against High Flyers Shipston on Star, Shipston on Star RFC. Mr Rayfield added, a great day was had by all. For more information or to make a further donation, go to walkfordoddy.co.uk. Work started yesterday, which was on Monday the 8th, on raising new road in the city centre to prevent it flooding again. The left-hand lane of Worcester Bridge and New Road was closed as far as St John's Roundabout. Traffic from Hilton Road was also prevented from turning right onto New Road. With cones in place, the first visible work was the cutting back of trees directly outside the Worcestershire County Cricket Ground. As part of the plan, seven trees will be removed from the street, with 13 trees being planted as replacements in Cripplegate Park. Knock-on effects on traffic were apparent early on, with traffic crossing the bridge south, sorry, crossing the bridge south backing up as far as Dean's Way before 8am and with cars on Hilton Road also queuing during rush hour. One commuter said, I normally get into the city quite early and it's always pretty good before 8.30, but it was much slower, though not quite as bad as I feared. I think it might become frustrating if it's like that every day and I'm a bit concerned about going home. I have to drive down Hilton Road and if the city centre is too congested, then I sometimes turn right and head for the Southern Ring Road. If Hilton Road traffic can't do that, then I worry that the city centre one-way system will just become much more of a snarl-up, and it will be impossible to avoid it. While the original report to Worcestershire County Council's planning committee said the work would take about 12 weeks, signs on the bridge said to expect delays for 18 weeks, the County Council's Highway Department confirmed the work is scheduled to last 18 weeks. A tweet by Worcestershire Highway and Travel also suggested that traffic using Hilton Road and wanting to turn right could be diverted via Henwick Road, but that diversion has not yet been signposted, with the only signed diversion being instructions to turn left over Worcester Bridge. Reaction by Worcester news readers was not entirely positive. Lizzie Williams wrote, three months of disruption to save a day, a year of th or thereabouts, and at what cost? Where is the flood impact assessment? This water will be displaced downstream 
onto residential areas of Diglas, etc. Where is the environmental impact assessment? Josh Philpot added, when a flood happens and you put a defence in place, you're only pushing a flood elsewhere. A road reader, sorry, a reader called himself Thomas J. added, this will cause people three months disruption. If done on time, and I'm unsure I'll ever, it'll even help, if it does, it only causes problems for odd days every five or six years. Complete waste of money. On Facebook, Jenny Layton wrote, Traffic is at a standstill all along Hilton Road, as far back as the uni. Been sat in it for nearly 20 minutes and not even made it into town yet. Good luck getting into work on time today if you live in St John's and have to get to the other side of town. Paul Savage said, Coming from Hilton Road, you have to go through town if you're heading for St John's or Malvern. While Stephen Mather predicted, Henwick Road will end up with a lot more traffic for a while. Uh, we've just got um, a couple of um, sp- things of sport interest um, to read out at the moment. So the first one is um, about Six Nations Rugby. Wales le- legend Shane Williams anticipates Worcester Warriors wing Josh Adams to make his senior international debut in next month's Six Nations, but he has urged Welsh fans not to expect miracles from the talented 22-year-old, despite his stunning form for the Aviva Premiership struggles. Adams remains at the top of the league's try-scoring charts after crossing the whitewash nine times in 13 league games, with George North, Hallam Amos and Liam Williams injured, Adams is being hotly tipped to win a place in Warren Gatland's squad. Wales assistant coach Rob Howley was also spotted at Six Ways watching Adams in Warriors 46-25 thrashing by Bath last Friday. In his column for the rugby paper, Williams described North's injury as a hammer blow with the Northampton Saints star set to miss Wales' opener against Scotland on Saturday, February the 3rd. But the 40-year-old ex-British and Irish Lions wing spoke glowingly about Swansea-born Adams, who joined Warriors Academy from Llanetli Scarlets in 2015. Josh is a fine player and a hugely promising talent, said Williams, who scored 58 tries in 87 games for Wales. I'm not sure quite how he managed to escape the Welsh system, but I've seen him in action for Worcester this season and it's clear he's one to watch. Warriors are struggling. They're second from bottom of the Aviva Premiership and Josh is often playing behind a pack that's going the wrong way. The fact is it hasn't stopped him from being the leading try scorer in what is one of the strongest leagues in the world. It's hugely impressive and for me it says a massive amount about him. When you're playing at that sort of level, crossing the whitewash regularly and generating headlines in the press and on social media, you're going to get a lot of attention. That's happening with Josh now, and with what he's achieved so far this season, he must be doing something right. Who knows what will happen, but I'm sure he'll be considered for the Six Nations squad by Warren and given the chance to prove he can step up to international level. However, Williams insisted that Wales cannot rely on Adams to save the day and has called on Gatland and his backroom staff to nurture his talent. 
We can't expect Josh to fly straight into the whale's side, starting, start tearing it up and transfer his Worcester form into the red shirt. Not immediately, at least, Williams said. That's not because I don't rate Josh, nor is it because I don't think he's capable of excelling on the bigger stage. But it would be asking too much too soon of a 22-year-old to be our saviour in the next few months. In Wales, as soon as a young player starts hitting the headlines, we have a tendency to want to throw him straight into the national side and expect miracles. We can't do that with Josh. He has all but the potential, but what Wales need to do if they pick him is nurture that talent, not risk throwing it away too soon. I'll follow that with a cricketing item featuring the county's very promising young all-rounder, Ed Barnard who is striving to build on his success from 2017 by trying to score more runs and take more wickets as preparations go ahead for the county championship now in Division 1. The 22-year-old was voted Worcestershire Supporters Association Player of the Year by polling, in fact, 50% of the total votes. He scored 580 championship runs at an average of 36.25 although batting in the lower order, and was the joint second-highest wicket-taker with 47 wickets at 25.25, another year of outstanding progress from the former England under-19 player. As he said, personally last season couldn't really have gone much better for me. I wanted to take more wickets and be more threatening with the ball and managed to do that. Now it's a question of kicking on again and trying to build on what is going to be a tougher assignment in a tougher division. Going up into Division 1 is a real challenge. I must try and replicate or even go better with my performances. Get noticed and help us get noticed as a team that matters. On his Player of the Year award, Barnard added, it shows that people respect the work I put in and some of the performances last year. To be rewarded for that is very nice and a big thank you to everyone who voted for me. But the big thing really was us getting promoted and I was more than happy with that. All the other rewards I got were a bit of a bonus. Worcester Warriors, again, here we go. Uh, has projected a return to profitability by 2020 in figures sent out to potential investors. A profit of more than <coughs> 13.8 million was posted by WRFC Trading Limited, the company that operates Warriors, in its latest set of accounts up to June 2016. But that was due to more than 20.4 million of shareholder loans being written off. Notwithstanding that, the underlying loss was 6.6 million on the back of 5.5 million shipped in the previous financial year. The swift turnaround is reliant on a projected 47% increase in match day revenue and 90% lift in sponsorship over the next three years. According to literature put together by Livingston, the company tasked with reviewing strategic and investment options at Warriors, the Six Ways Club is forecast to post reduced losses of £2.8 million in the financial year 2018. With a loss than... than With a less than 1% reduction to rugby department wages, which includes players, coaches, performance staff, 
academy and administration salaries, it is projected losses will be less than 1 million in 2019 before returning to profit the year after. The club forecasts spending 10.85 million on rugby department salaries in 2018, down from 10.942 million in 2017, and has budgeted for a drop to 10 million for the two years after that. 6.45 million of that is set to go to players, 1 million of which is for the top two earners outside the Premiership's wage cap. In spite of a small drop in match day revenue between 2016 and 17, an anticipated 15% increase in ticketing is the foundation of a predicted uplift of more than £500,000 this term. The literature also points towards an estimated £250,000 additional revenue from the proposed establishment of a second-tier Saturday league. The projections budget... For more than 5.1 million worth of match day revenue by 2020. The actual figure from 2017 was 3.47 million. Warriors, Warriors currently fetch in a shade more than £1 million of sponsorship, but it is suggested buyers could increase that by £900,000, including £400,000 for selling the stadium naming rights. Among the other suggestions put forward to prospective buyers are the building of a 100-room hotel with a predicted profit of more than £700,000 per year from 2022, although who would pick up the estimated £7 million cost of getting it off the ground remains unclear. Ideas to utilise land for retail units, the potential for football pitches and extra parking on farmland have also been put forward. Warriors Managing Director Gus McKay said neither he nor his organisation would be prepared to comment on the figures when contacted by the Worcester News. Jamie Hutton, one of two contacts provided by London-based Livingston for parties interested in purchasing the Worcester Club, also said neither he nor his company would be prepared to comment. And this is just um, a fun story. <coughs> Maudling Vikings will vie with Victorians for the attention of the crowds at the Worcester Museum. Organisers aim to bring to life 2,000 years of history to life at... Sorry, organisers aim to bring to life 2,000 years of history to life at the commandery for a weekend of activities. Ancient Greeks, Second World War soldiers, Georgian dancers, royalists, fighters... From the English Civil War and medieval monks will descend on the museum in Sidbury. The event has been organised by the Worcester reenactors in partnership with the commandery. More than 200 reenactors hope to bring history to life through living history encampments, military drill displays, traditional craft demonstrations, and vintage vehicles. Indoor and outdoor entertainment throughout the weekend will include firing displays with arms through the ages medieval and 17th century encampments, chilling historic treatments with the scary surgeon and an 18th century Punchinello puppet show. During half-term, families can enjoy becoming indoor archaeologists in amazing ancestors' workshops and find clues about the commandery's thousand-year history before having, to go at making their, having a go at making their own medieval floor tile. 
floor tile, sorry. These sessions take place from Tuesday, February the 20th to Friday, February the 23rd. Charles Fotheringill, marketing officer for the commandery, said last year's Living History Weekend was the commandery's biggest and best ever. And we are very excited about the displays that will be brought to life by the marvellous Worcester reenactors once again. Brian Bullock from Worcester Reenactor said, The Living History event offers a chance to celebrate history in the heart of Worcester, and the historic commandery is the perfect setting. The reenactors all come along on a voluntary basis, are extremely enthusiastic about the period being portrayed, and have a wealth of knowledge for visitors to tap into. Living History in Worcester is part of the Love Worcester Heritage Festival, a week of events from between February the 14th and the 25th. There will also be Living History displays to see in Friary Street, sorry, Friar Street, Tudor House and Greyfriars. Researchers at a wartime museum near Worcester are hoping to capture memories before they are lost forever. They want to hear recollections from women or their friends and relatives who were part of the 600-strong workforce at the once-secret RAF Defford Air Base and they are holding an event at Pershaw Town Hall on Saturday, January the 20th for people to share their memories. We know about some of the women who worked at RAF Defford but there are many more unknown stories to be revealed and we hope this event will help bring them to the surface, said Pauline Gardiner, who volunteers at the RAF Defford Museum and is the daughter of a wartime radar operator. They carried out a wide range of jobs from boffins to cooks and cleaners. That generation was very reticent about their war experiences, but for many it was a life changer. We are really eager to find out more about them. If you are a female relative or friend, if you have a female relative or friend who worked at RAF Defford during the Second World War and the years immediately afterwards, then the researchers would love to hear from you. <coughs> the RAF Museum already features stories of women like Audrey Rundale, who flew from Defford in a Wellington plane and was an awarded an MBE in the 1944 New Year's Honours List in recognition of her work on airborne radar applications. Yet it is hoped that there are many more stories yet to be discovered. The aim of the women working at RAF Defford Research Project is to find out more about the women who worked and served there, the various roles they played and how it affected their lives. Many of the women carried out a wide range of occupations, nurses, drivers, cooks, scientists, WAFs, engineers, pay clerks and wrens. Some lived locally and others settled in Worcestershire after the war. The researchers are interested to find out how the women viewed their work at RAF Defford. The event at Pershaw Town Hall runs from 10.30 to 2.30pm. City leaders have thrown their weight behind a proposal to build a 75-foot bell tower and performing arts centre at a Worcester school despite some overwhelming opposition from nearby residents. Proposals to erect a £4.5 million performing arts centre and bell tower at the Christopher Whitehead Language College in Bromwich Road were submitted to Worcester City Council last September. 
Some 12 bells have already been donated to the school from a church in Staffordshire. In consultation responses on the website, the Bishop of Worcester, the Right Reverend John Ing, praised the exciting performing arts project. He said, I was delighted to see the computer-generated images of the proposed building. I applaud your determination to educate the whole person and to liberate the creativity and artistic expressivity of every pupil. The Director of Arts and Culture at the University of Worcester, Anne Hannaford, said, This school community development will bring an exciting new performing arts space to the western side of the city, when most cultural venues are on the other side and not in easy proximity. The Worcester City Council leader, Adrian Gregson, said, The prospect of Worcester being the first place in the UK with a state school having ringing bells is a great inspiration and capturing the spirit and sentiment of this city council. This is a unique opportunity. We will thoroughly support it. The Conservative County Councillor, Lucy Hodgson, who is Cabinet Member for Communities, said, The inclusion of the bell tower in this development to commemorate the end of the First World War will be a lasting memorial to the city. But residents have continued to raise concerns at the size of the structure and the noise the bells will produce. There have been dozens of negative responses on the City Council's website. A decision on the proposal was originally due to be made on Friday, December the 15th, but the application is still pending as the City Council's planning team is in talks with the applicants regarding some outstanding pieces of information. It now looks as though the proposal may be considered at the planning committee meeting on February the 22nd. The woman who was at the side of a Worcestershire cricket legend during a scandal that rocked cricket in the 1960s has died. Naomi Dolivera died in St Richard's Hospice on Sunday, December the 31st, following a short illness, aged 84. She was married to Basil Dolivera for more than 50 years and supported him during the famous Dolivera affair in 1968. Son Sean Dolivera said she was a fantastic mother and a lovely lady. He said she was always there for us when Dad was away playing cricket. She taught me how to play when I was four or five years old and she was always supportive of Dad, especially during everything that happened. She was just a lovely, lovely lady and she will be very missed. Worcestershire County Cricket Club chairman Stephen Taylor said, The club was sad to hear of Naomi's death and our sympathies and condolences are very much with the family. The Dolivera name will always be proudly associated with Worcestershire, firstly and most significantly with Basil, but also through the skills of Damien and now Brett. The Dolivera family have been synonymous with Worcestershire CCC for more than 50 years. Mr Dolivera played for the county and England between 1964 and 1980 and made headlines when the 1968 tour of South Africa, where he was born, had to be called off after the apartheid regime refused to allow a non-white player into their country. Mrs Dolivera married Basil in 1960. They settled in Worcester from 64 and were together until his death in November 2011, aged 80. 
Her son, Damien Oliveira, who died in 2014, played for the county from 1982 to 1995, and grandson, Brett, is currently a first-team regular at New Road. Mike Vocking, Secretary at Worcestershire County, Ca- County Cricket Club from 1971 to 2001, paid tribute to Mrs Dolivera, saying she was wonderful, very gentle, very gracious, immensely friendly and kind, with a delightful sense of humour. Sports journalist Pat Murphy called Mrs Dolivera one of the kindest human beings he had ever known. He said, when I was writing Basil's autobiography with the great man back in 1979, she could not have been more helpful and welcoming to me in her home. Basil may have been very much a man's man, but he deferred to her on many key issues. Without Naomi's unconditional love and support, he wouldn't have overcome so many obstacles in his remarkable career and life. Naomi may have been petite, but she was a tower of strength to Basil. Mrs. Oliveira's funeral will take place at Worcester Crematorium on Friday, January the 26th at 10.45am, followed by a gathering at New Road from noon. The family are asking for donations to be made to St. Richard's Hospice. Screws and nails left in a road cause damage to several cars. Pictures sent to the Worcester News show nails and screws scattered across Crofter's Way in Droidwich on December the 30th while Worcestershire County Council said they had received reports of the objects in that road on January the 5th and that an out-of-hours highways team had to go out to clear the carriageway. Sasha Dewhurst from Droidwich was driving home from work near to the Westlands estate in the town when she noticed that her tyre was flat. Ms Dewhurst took her car to Malvern Tyres in Hampton Road where she was told that she was one of several people who had visited the garage in the last few days, needing a replacement tyre. It cost her £69. A mechanic at Malvern Tyre said they'd had several cars come into the garage on Tuesday and Wednesday last week after some suffering similar damage. She said she wasn't sure whether the screws and nails had intentionally been left in the road or had accidentally fallen off a vehicle. I have got no idea whether it was intentional and there's nothing you can do really, she told the Worcester News. It's just very frustrating. Miss Dewhurst said that her car had previously suffered damaged tyres in the same way in that area of Droidwich. It makes me wonder whether it was done on purpose, she said. Droidwich Safer Neighbourhood team were made aware of a number of complaints posted on social media regarding the nails and screws in the road but said no official reports had been made to the police. A head teacher has spoken of his sadness after helping a homeless man in the city on Boxing Day who turned out to be a former pupil. Christopher Whitehead Language College's head teacher, Neil Morris, is calling for more support for the homeless and vulnerable after the chance meeting. Mr Morris has written about the sad reunion in his latest monthly blog and told the Worcester News it was an utterly deflating experience for all concerned. Mr Morris wrote about the former pupil and another man protecting their identities by calling them Max and Darren. Writing in the January blog, Mr Morris said, Our Boxing Day walk saw my family stumble on Max and Darren, 30-somethings, rough sleepers. Max had collapsed and we did not step over him like many of the Christmas strollers, but called the paramedics. 
Darren's story of redundancy, relationship breakdown and dependency was depressingly familiar, made all the more so as he was an ex-student, class of 2003, whose optimistic Sims profile picture did not prepare me for this reunion. Mr Morris said they abandoned the walk, followed the ambulance to Worcestershire Royal Hospital instead, which he described as a war zone with drunks and the corridors full of elderly patients. Max was still waiting for treatment later in the day. Mr Morris said, Later that evening in the blizzard, we attempted to meet with Darren as pre-arranged, new sleeping bag and coat on offer. His perhaps predictable non-appearance dampened festivities in the Morris household as we pondered what might be. Darren is 29, five years older than my eldest. His GCSEs are not a protector against the bleak midwinter. At the homeless day centre the next day, a weariness amongst the staff was perhaps understandable as they struggled to cope with a volatile, abusive elderly man who replicated the abusive language we had witnessed and a harassed A&E nurse receive. Apparently Darren is volatile, unpredictable and not to be approached, not the boy I knew or the man who I observed caring for his friend. Mr Morris passionately calls for more caring society in the blog. We need to protect the Darrens of the future. As an educated, prosperous, caring nation, we need to value all who work in the public sector. Stop differentiating between children. This starts with our obsession with results and school league tables. Darren's 6A stars, sorry, 6A stars to C's were deemed successful, but clearly did not protect him for his future life. The blog can be found at https slash neilmorris wlc dot word dash press dot com. Fortis Living has admitted more work is needed on the Tolladyne Road flats which were scorched in a devastating fire that claimed a pensioner's life. Angry residents have complained to the Worcester News about the state of the block where a 73-year-old man died last week following a fire at his ground floor flat. Following the fire, some residents were evacuated from the block and put up in hotels overnight. They were told it was then safe to return the next day, Thursday, January the 4th, and Fortis Living, which manages the block, said a cleaning team went through the site on Friday, January the 5th and did a thorough clean of the communal hallway. But... The housing management company also said that contractors visited the site on Saturday, January the 6th and carried out further cleaning, but then admitted that yet more work is needed. Catherine Cole, the Assistant Director of Housing and Communities, said cleaning contractors did go out to clean the communal areas, but clearly still more work is needed and we are liaising with them so we can organise a return to the flats for everyone as soon as possible. There was some feedback from a tenant uh, later on Monday, January the 8th, in effect saying that the work was not to the right standard. A spokesman for Fortis then added, we did speak to one tenant who agreed with us it wasn't to the right standard and needed more work. We didn't receive any other complaints.
and an on-site meeting was held yesterday to discuss what further action is needed. Once that work is complete, there will be a follow-up to schedule redecoration works. Fortis said they had contacted tenants in the block, some directly and some via phone messages, to advise of the steps they're taking. The original fire at this three-storey block took place shortly after, before 3pm on Wednesday, January the 3rd. The man's death is not being treated as suspicious. Following the fire, police, firefighters and paramedics were called to a scene to the scene and the road was temporarily closed. The window of the individual property was boarded up on Thursday, the January the 4th, and some smoke-damaged brickwork could be seen. A charity gig in memory of a 13-year-old boy who died of leukaemia last year has sold out. Some 250 tickets were sold for the event entitled James Forever On Tour, being held at the Mars Bar in Pierpoint Street, Worcester, on Saturday, January the 13th. The event in memory of James O'Mara of Clanes, a student at Blessed Edward Oldcorn Catholic College, is raising funds for childhood leukaemia. Birmingham Children's Hospital and the Children's Liver Foundation. It will also celebrate James's 14th birthday, which was on Saturday, January the 6th. It will feature Worcester's own rock band, The Fingers, as well as support acts Vintage Inc. and Colin Jackson Brown. James's grandma, June O'Mara, said, After our family friends read about James's sudden death, they suggested f- reforming their band the fingers for a charity gig in january for what would have been james's 14th birthday we are hoping to celebrate james's life and raise money at the same time we are so grateful to those performing and the mars bar for providing the venue free of charge magician dynamo has also donated a book which will be auctioned at the event Mrs. O'Mara added, James went to Glastonbury Festival a couple of years ago when he, where he was invited on stage with Dynamo, the magician, to take part in a performance. James was really proud and had self, selfies of himself with Dynamo. His mother, Becky O'Mara, said Christmas has been a difficult time for us all without James, who was the life and soul of family events. We should be celebrating James's 14th birthday, so knowing that we have the opportunity to raise over £1,000 on behalf of him really helps. The fact that the tickets have sold out so quickly also shows how much everyone loved James. The Fingers, original lineup: Andy Platt, guitar, Dick Beard, drums, Jeff Lewis, keyboards, Pete Savage, bass, Rob Turner, vocals, will be taking to the stage. James was diagnosed with aggressive form of leukaemia, acute myeloid, at Worcestershire Royal on June the 1st. He was transferred to Birmingham Children's Hospital, but died on Thursday, June the 8th, after battling the disease for only a week. James only started feeling unwell on May the 29th, and having no pre-existing conditions, his family believed he had caught a common sickness bug. To donate... Go to jamesomara.muchloved.com A reunion to mark two decades since the Littlewoods shop closed its doors in Worcester City Centre is being held later this month. The store, which was located on the High Street, closed down in January 1998 
after a takeover by Marks and Spencer. One of the oldest serving members of staff, Susan Adams, who started working at Littlewoods in April 1970, said, It was a great place to work. We had lots of fun and got involved in lots of charity work. I know we were missed on the high street. She added, There must have been hundreds of staff passed through the door over the years. Many came straight from school and stayed until they left to have a family. The event is being held at Archdale 73 Club in Windermere Drive, Warnden, at 7pm on Wednesday, January the 24th. Former members of staff met in December last year to help plan the event. Those who would like to attend are being asked to pay £5 towards the cost of the event with any excess money to be donated to charity. Former staff members interested in taking part in a reunion are asked to contact Susan Adams by email adams478 at btinternet.com. I've got um, a couple of brief articles now which I think might be of interest to you. An inventor is drawing interest across Britain and beyond for his creation of a gas lamp on the Malvern Hills powered by dog mess. Brian Harper was inspired to devise the lamp following his leading role in the Gasketeers, a group of engineers who repaired and upgraded Malvern's distinctive gas lamps back in 2012. With funding from the Malvern Hills area of outstanding natural beauty, he has fitted one of the lamps at Upper Dingle off West Malvern Road with a biodigester that can turn dog muck into gas, which is then burned in the lamp. And the lamp, though to be the thought to be the first of its kind in the UK, is proving so popular with dog owners and non-dog owners alike that Mr Harper has been inundated with requests for interviews by papers including the Times and the Daily Mail and radio stations from across the UK including the BBC World Service. He said all dog owners have to do is to pick up the mess in a paper bag, not a plastic one, put it in the digester and turn the handle five times. Dog owners are delighted that they have somewhere to put the mess that will do some good, not just putting it in a bin. And dog owner, non-dog owners are delighted that there is much less dog mess around. The service, the, sorry, the device works because the contents of the digester are broken down by microorganisms in producing methane that fuels the light with fertilizer as a byproduct. The methane is stored in the lamp until darkness falls when it is released and burned. Mr. Harper says that he will be running the prototype lamp for the next few months to make adjustments and iron out any problems and then he hopes to install further examples locally. He says that Victoria Park in Malvern Link and the car parks around the Malvern Hills are some possible sites for the lamps to be installed. And this one is about the discovery um, that lifts the lid on an SAS photographer. Original glass negatives of the composer, Sir Edward Elgar, have been found in the barn of a photographer, the discovery was made at the farmhouse in Ailton, Herefordshire, where Thelma Holland lived. Miss Holland died in 2016 and had for many years run Vivian's studio in Church Street, Hereford. Before her death, Miss Holland had promised Keith James that she would gift old photographic items to local museums and archives. 
Other negatives which were found in tea chests, including hot picking and local views, but for Mr James there was one startling find. He said, in so many cases there were three copies, three, three negative copies of every subject, written in ink on each negative was either red, blue or green filter. This was evidence of the world's first rare and tedious colour process that had been obsolete for 60 years or more, called the tricarbro process. One Canadian claims there are only five people in the world today who understand the process. Mr James said that Miss Holland could rightly be described as the secret photographer to the SAS. He said for years she did all their passport pictures. A former Royal Grammar School maths teacher has been awarded an MBE in the Queen's New Year's Honours for his services to education. Howard Groves, now 66, has been given the honour for his work in setting challenging problems at the UK Mathematics Trust. Mr Groves, as chair of the junior and intermediate problem groups, collates hundreds of difficult questions into an exam sat by thousands of students every year. His work also helps provide essential materials and answer booklets for teachers. I was very excited when I received the letter. Surprised but excited, said Mr Groves, who surprised his family with the news on Christmas Day. He began teaching maths at RGS back in 1982 and stayed until he officially retired in 2011. Despite retiring, Mr Groves in fact continued to teach and gives talks at King's in Worcester and also King Edward's in Birmingham. Of course, schools and education went through a lot of changes. I started out when the 11 plus was still going. RGS became independent again in 1983 and started accepting girls in 2002. I much preferred teaching to mixed classes, which I'd done originally when I taught in New Zealand. He added, he says that one of his proudest moments was being part of the prestigious International Mathematical Olympiad held in Glasgow in 2002, and also looks forward to being involved in the next Olympiad in Bath in 2019. It's difficult to estimate the number of children that have attempted to decipher the challenges set by Mr Groves over the years, but he was told recently that a conservative estimate would be around 2 million young people. Plumes of black smoke could be seen billowing into the skies above Warden in Worcester on Saturday as firefighters tackled a blaze at the cordless home appliance manufacturer GTEC. Four Hereford and Worcester Fire and Rescue Service engines, three from Worcester and one from Droywich, were called to the scene at the battery power device assembly plant in Brindley Road at about 12.25pm. On arrival, firefighters found large quantities of batteries ablaze and the building was severely smoke-logged. The fire was on the external part of the building and involved an extraction unit. The blaze had damaged the cladding to the external part of the building. Firefighters managed to isolate the fire and stop it spreading. The service, who used breathing, the service who used four breathing apparatuses during the blaze, ventilated the building and dampened down the area. 
No one was hurt in the blaze. All staff had been evacuated before service arrived. Moody, sorry, tributes have been paid to Moody Blue star Ray Thomas, who has died. The flautist and vocalist with the group, who was born in Starport, died suddenly aged 76. His record label Cherry Red Records and Esoteric Recordings said in a statement, It is with profound sorrow and sadness that Cherry Red Records and Esoteric Recordings regret to announce that Ray Thomas, founder member, flautist and vocalist of the Moody Blues, passed away suddenly at his home in Surrey on Thursday. We're deeply shocked by his passing and will miss his warmth, humour and kindness. It was a privilege to have known and worked with him and our thoughts are with his family and his wife Lee at this sad time. In 2014, Thomas revealed on his website that he had been diagnosed with prostate cancer. He said he received his diagnosis in 2013, writing, My cancer was inoperable, but I have a fantastic doctor who immediately started me on new treatment and has had 90% success rate. The cancer is being held in remission, but I'll be receiving this treatment for the rest of my life. Born in Starport on December the 29th, 1941, Thomas started, formed the Moody Blues alongside Mick Pinder, Benny Lane, Graham Edge and Clint Warwick. Later, members of the Moody Blues, Justin Haywood said, Ray was a kind, generous and giving musician and friend through all his ma magical years for a group and I treasure all the music we made together. The Moody Blues are due to be inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame this year. And the headline that I'm going to read um, about a play that's um, being held in Broadway, The Courage of Men at War with War. The remarkable courage of pacifists in the face of appalling treatment will be the theme of an award-winning play at Broadway's Lifford Hall this February. A spokesman said... Broadway Arts Festival is delighted and proud to present the award-winning This Evil Thing, written and performed by Michael Mears. The dramatic one-man production explores the courage it took to be a pacifist in the First World War, following two men in particular, Bert Brocklesby, a young schoolteacher and preacher at his local Methodist church, and Bertrand Russell, one of the greatest philosophers of his time. The spokesman added, with the advent of military conscription in 1916, their worlds are turned upside down. The compelling, inspiring and rarely told story is of the men who said no to war and the men and women who supported them. It involves a dizzying journey from a chapel in Yorkshire to the House of Commons, from an English country garden to a quarry in Aberdeen and from a cell in Richmond Castle to a firing squad in France. <clears throat> a spokesman added, with military conscription still in force in many countries today and prisoners of conscience still languishing in jails, the questions posed by this evil thing are as relevant and urgent as they were 100 years ago. Michael Mears, the fringe first award-winning master of the one-man show The List, portrays a gallery of characters from conscientious objectors to army generals, from prime ministers to world-famous mathematicians, with breathtaking physical and vocal dexterity, in a highly original piece of storytelling, using verbatim testimonies and interacting with an intricate soundscape. 
At its world premiere at the Edinburgh Fringe in 2016, it received four-star reviews and acclaim from audiences and press alike. The date for the diary will be February the 27th from 7pm. Tickets are available to purchase through the website www.broadwayartfestival.co.uk Tosca, one of the great evenings of opera and an audience at the Norbury in Droitwich will now be able to enjoy it as the production will be streamed in live on Wednesday, February the 7th. From its strident opening chords, this show conjures up a world of political instability and menace. Jonathan Kent's production for the Royal Opera Company captures the dangerous political turbulence of Rome in 1800. The chief of police, Scarpia, who was one of the most malevolent villains in opera, ruthlessly pursues and tortures enemies of the state. His dark, demonic music contrasts with the expansive melodies of the idealistic lovers, Tosca and Cavaradossi, who express their passion in sublime, sublime arias, including Visidate and Elusivan Listelle. Giacomo Puccini's dramatic work was a great hit with audiences from its 1900 premiere. It remains one of the most performed of all operas. With its gripping plot and glorious music, it's easy to see why. The spokesman added, A candlelit church, Scarpia's gloomy study with its hidden torture chamber, coupled with the false optimism of a Roman dawn. This handsome production throws into relief the ruthlessly taut drama as the tension is wound up towards a faithful conclusion. For tickets and further details are available on 01905-770154. The Orchestra of the Swan is joining forces with international soloists to welcome in the new year with upbeat classical music and Malvern Theatres will host its new season. A spokesman said, Start the new year with some upbeat classical music by joining Orchestra of the Swan and international soloists from their orchestral series in Malvern Theatres. With celebrity soloists John Lill, Jennifer Pike and Bernard Descoli, virtuoso skills will be on full show. The spokesman added, Orchestra of the Swan, based in Shakespeare's Stratford-upon-Avon, will be back in Worcestershire for a fantastic season of concerts, opening at Malvern Theatres on January the 19th. The international pianist will be performing Beethoven's Piano Concerto No. 3 in C minor, a concerto with a breadth of emotional range which represents total mastery of genre and structure. John Lill added, the power and sense of purpose of the first movement, contrasting with the profundity of the second, followed by the optimistic, good-natured finale, are admirably balanced. Following this, on March the 12th, Jennifer Pike will join the orchestra to perform Tchaikovsky's Violin Concerto in D Major. Orchestra of the Swan will close its season at Malvern Theatres on May the 9th with pianist Bernard Descoli, um, and further details of this are at www.orchestraoftheswan.org. That nearly brings us to the end of our uh, evening. Um, just 
uh, a few announcements. Site Concern has a special invitation to our 2018 AGM and annual supporters meeting. John Parsons, Chair of Trustees, invites you to join us at Site Concern Worcestershire's AGM and annual supporters meeting. Tuesday the 30th of January, the Assembly Room, the Guildhall, High Street, Worcester, WR12EY. Uh, from 2 till 2.45 is the AGM, 2.45 to 3 is tea and coffee, and then 2.45 to 5 p.m. is the annual supporters meeting. You are welcome to come along just to the annual supporters meeting or attend the AGM as well. We're looking forward to celebrating the difference your support has made over the last year and updating you on plans for the year ahead. This will be an interactive and inspiring afternoon with short presentations from our Chair of Trustees and Chief Officer, demonstrations on clever cookery and hugby, as well as assessing appropriate IT technology. It's an opportunity to meet Site Concern Worcestershire's clients and staff, trustees and volunteers, as well as supporters for community groups and businesses, donors and fundraisers. Our President, Lady Morris, will be presiding Sorry, we'll be presenting awards for outstanding contributions to site concern. So there's a date for your diary too. Um, the lighting up time is 16.19 to 8.13. Uh, birthdays for this coming week, but I first of all must say a belated birthday wishes to Kathy Robertson, who was 95 on the 23rd of December. Um, we wish you a very, very happy birthday um, and hope you had a great day, Kath. On the 9th of January is Eileen Watson. On the 17th is Margaret May. And on the 19th is Mary Maddox. So we wish you all very happy birthdays. And if there's anybody that we've left off, please let us know and we can put you on the birthday list for future. Um, Emergency phone numbers for out-of-hours medical assistance from 6 p.m. to 8 a.m. is 0300-123-3211. And the NHS number for non-emergency help is 111. Malvern Theatre's telephone number is 01684-894-892277. Worcester Live is 611429, which covers the Swan and Huntington Hall. Worcester Hub number for Council Matters is 765765 or 722233. Crime Stoppers is 01, sorry, 0800 555 Our telephone number is 01905 767766. Our address is 11 Wilds Lane, Worcester, WR5 1DA. Our website is www.worcestertalkingnews.org.uk on which you can find all the recordings for the weekly news and monthly magazines and much more. Uh, we do value your feedbacks, likes and dislikes or changes you may like to make. Please do let us know in your envelopes and we'll do our best to, um, to go along with them. And that leaves us to say a very happy new year to you all. And I hope that you had a great Christmas and we shall see you in a month or uh, speak to you in a month's time. <laughs>